Whether you are an aspiring author or just love reading, I think you'll enjoy today's conversation. Carolyn Mills spends her days in the classroom teaching grade seven, but she's also an award-winning writer and author of two books. Her picture book, The Little Boy Who Lived Down the Drain, was published in 2017. And as of March 2021, you can find her debut novel, The Good Son, on library and store bookshelves. Today, she joins me to chat about her own writing process and offer advice for those who dream of getting published. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. Well, like I said off off the top, and like many aspiring authors, you have a day job that is not writing books. Um, How do you make time for writing? Well, I get up really early. That's the, the short answer. Before, when my kids were younger, I used to squeeze the writing time in. So when they were at swimming lessons or if we were waiting for something else, I always had my laptop with me and I would get little pockets of time. But then I realized I needed bigger chunks of time. And so I had to actually schedule it in or it didn't happen. If I left it to the end of the day, I'd be too tired or a million other things would come up. So I get up really early, just before five o'clock, and I make a cup of tea. And by 5 a.m., I'm sitting and I'm writing, at least during the school year. Right now, I'm a little bit more flexible with the summer because I have more time. So I don't feel so compelled to get up early. But during the school year, when I'm working full time, I get up very early to squeeze it in. Yeah, that is really early. Um, I don't know that I could get up at 5 a.m., but that's because writing takes dedication, I guess. Well, it's Uh, a time of day because the house is quiet and there's no other demands on your time and there's nothing else you should be doing. Like you don't feel like, oh, but I should be doing the laundry or the dishes because no one's doing that at 5 a.m. So you don't have any guilt about just taking that time for yourself and sitting down and writing. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, That's a great way to think about it. So when we first met, you introduced me to a new writerly term. I had never heard of this before. You called yourself a pantser when it comes to writing your drafts. Um, Can you explain what a pantser is and maybe give some more detail about your writing process? Sure. So a lot of writers will classify themselves into one of two groups, a plotter or a pantser. And a plotter is someone who plots everything out in advance. And when they sit down to write, they know exactly where everything is going. And a pantser sits down and writes by the seat of their pants, essentially. So they just sort of figure it out as they go along. And I classify myself as a pantser, but who really wants to be a plotter. So I do write by the seat of my pants. And I'm I'm often surprised by what's happening, but I really, really wish that I had a nice plot outline to follow because at some point I do have to go back and impose that structure on what I've written. And that's usually when I say next time I'm going to be a plotter and I'm going to do all this up front, but then somehow I never do. (laughs) But I also really like the surprise of being a pantser where I have a general idea of where the story is going to go. But as I'm writing each scene, it's almost like when you're reading a book where you don't know what's going to happen next and you can be surprised. I have that same experience when I'm writing where someone will say something or do something and I'll say, Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. So I think for me, it's just the natural way that I write, even though I might wish that I was more of a plotter. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, 
you don't often hear about writers who wish they wrote in a different manner, I guess, or I, I've never come across that before. And I, I had never come across this idea of plotting versus pantsing, uh, but it makes complete sense, especially with um, novels with kind of a mystery element like your your first novel. I can see how it'd be exciting to be a pantser <laughs> while writing. The novel I'm working on right now, there's something that happens. And for the longest time, I didn't know who did it. And every time I thought I knew, I would build in clues to that person. But then I would think, well, now it's too obvious it's that person. So I would switch it to someone else. And then I would build in a few clues for them. And then it got to the point where I'm like, any one of them could have done it now. Like, I don't know who did it. But I eventually figured out who did it. And then I had to remove some of the other misleading clues and build in some more for where I wanted it to go. But that was sort of fun too, just because I was always like, I still don't know who did it. I was suspicious of all these different people. So, but when I'm jealous is when I see someone else who has, like I see their plotting notes and I see their post-it notes and everything all lined up. And that's usually when I wish I was a plotter. Yeah, that's, that's fair. It seems so straightforward. After the fact. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think there's there's this popular belief uh, among people that writers like have a book inside of them just waiting to be written down. Um, but after speaking to you, it's really clear that most writers spend a lot of time learning new skills that will then take their craft to a professional level. So can you tell me a little bit of what you did to get to that level? Absolutely. So one thing I've always done is I read a ton. And I think when I first started wanting to write a long form, like a novel, I thought, well, because I've read so many, I know how it's done. I, I've read hundreds and hundreds of books, but there's so much more to it that you you don't even notice the author is doing and you kind of need to learn the craft, essentially. So I didn't study um, like writing as a craft in university or get my MFA. So I had to learn it all myself. So I attended workshops. I went to writing conferences. I read a ton of blog posts just on different elements of writing. I joined writing groups. When I had a novel at a spot where I felt like it was close to finish, I worked finished. I worked with a mentor who's someone who's established, she's an established writer. So I was getting professional feedback on it as well and learning a ton just from working with her um, as well about parts of my craft that were weaker or how to tighten up um, specific things in the story. So lots of learning that never really ends. Like even right now, I'm rereading a book called Save the Cat Writes a Novel and there's another version, Save the Cat, for screenwriters, which is the first one I read. And it's I'm, I'm reminding myself of tips or tricks that I need to employ or just to make sure it's actually very... That book focuses on structure, which I know is where I need to go back and build the structure into my novels after I pants my way through them. So <laughs> writing a lot of, or reading a lot of books about writing um, has been really helpful as well. And then other things I did, 
I submitted short pieces of work, so short stories to different contests or magazines. And then you get feedback as well, either in the form of acceptance or rejections. But when you get an acceptance or your short story wins or even places in the top 10, for me, that gave me a lot of validation that, okay, I, I can do this. My writing is strong enough to for someone to think of it at this um, level or to place in a top 10 or to win a competition. And then that gave me the confidence I needed to keep working on my novel that I had been working on at that point for years and years. So putting your work out there, getting feedback from not feedback from like your mom or your best friends, because they'll all tell you, this is great. It's the best thing I've ever read, but getting sort of more objective feedback from somebody who will be honest with you and doesn't have to worry about hurting your feelings. Right. Right. Uh, so bringing it to one of those, um, to a writing group or a conference uh, workshop, that sort of thing. Yes, definitely. And you gain yeah. so much advice and um, tips from those people that you might not have even been aware of, like of other writing groups or resources or things you didn't know existed suddenly sort of come into your awareness. So that's really helpful as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I found it really interesting in our first conversation when you talked about how you had to learn how to structure a, a full length novel um, and that you, you know, you'd been writing stories and, and things for years in your spare time, but, uh, you needed that, uh, learning that study of, of how to structure everything to really write an, a novel that was publishable. Yeah. And it required a certain amount of stamina that I hadn't been expecting either because I felt like I could never finish it. Like it just seemed like this huge daunting task and forever I had a really close to finished draft of a novel and and then I did a workshop that was about like finishing your novel like stop saying you're writing a novel and actually sit down and finish one and I thought oh this is what I need because I felt at that point like I'd been saying I was writing a novel forever and the biggest takeaway there was they said sit down give yourself a chunk of time every day like carve that out for yourself where you're going to just write not revise what you've written, not reread what you've written, but just move forward until you have a complete draft. And then you can go back and, and tinker with it. And so that amount of time, they said, was an hour and a half every day. And I remember it was like, no matter what, you had to do that hour and a half. And it was just forward momentum. So when you couldn't think of anything to write, you just had to keep typing or writing however you were um, doing it. And you, you didn't get to stop and look things up or I need to do some research here. So it was like the research would come later. If there was a detail you needed to know, you would just put like a filler in to go back to later. And so that was really helpful. And that was when I actually finished the novel. And I had laser eye surgery during that time. And I remember I had um, the bandages over my eyes and I wasn't allowed to look at a computer screen. And so I was typing with my eyes closed <laughs> I had like my eyes closed, I had sunglasses on and I was just typing and I mistyped, like every word was a, a typo pretty much. But um, I did my hour and a half that day because the rule was there were no excuses. Right. Oh, that's funny. The lengths that you will go to to continue your practice. That's awesome. Um, okay, so we've talked a lot about the way that you write so far, but once you have 
what you think is a finished publishable book, you still have to get it published. Um, and it seems to me like the publishing world is just a really tough place to break into. So do you have any tips for how people can do that? It is tough to break into for sure. Um, the, the biggest thing I think to do is sort of learn about the industry and how it works because there's lots of options for when someone is ready to publish. So you could go the self-publishing route and I don't know a ton about that, but I do know a lot of people will like hire an editor themselves to make sure their work is uh, like at the highest quality level. And there's so many resources for self-publishing now and people who make a really good living off of self-published work, especially now there's so many ways to distribute your work. If you go that route, traditional publishing, you have to, you can either submit to small publishing houses yourself. So you'd have to research which publishers will accept unsolicited manuscripts versus some of the bigger publishing houses will only take work from an agent. So then you have to decide if you're going to get an agent or submit on your own. And in some cases, I think for me personally, getting an agent is sometimes harder than getting, um, than getting published with a smaller publishing house. And you can still, your agent will still submit to smaller publishing houses too. So, and in Canada, there's a lot of publishing houses that will accept unsolicited manuscripts. So knowing who they are and what kind of work they're looking for. So it goes back to the research, I guess, and just knowing what route do you want to take? And then what are the next steps you need to do to get there? So if it's submitting to publishers or agents, you need to learn how to write a query letter. So before you send your full manuscript, you send like a cover letter that is designed to get them interested in your work. Often they'll then request a partial if the premise sounds interesting and the partial is like the first three chapters usually. And then if the first three chapters interest them enough, they'll ask for what's called a full, which is the full manuscript. And then your chances are much better once you've sent a full manuscript, but they still have to love that before they would make you an offer of either representation if it's an agent or an offer of publication if you went straight to a publisher. So there's lots of steps along the way that you need to research and know what you're doing. Like writing a good query letter is something else that I I read so many blog posts about query letters. I looked at samples of probably close to 200 query letters as I was writing mine. And then I went to a workshop that was on query letter writing as well before I had a query letter that I felt really confident I could send out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are so many pieces to think about within that process. And none of it I knew before. Like I had never heard of a query letter. I didn't know how to set one up or what it even was. I didn't know how to submit to publishers or even where to find the information to submit. So here's a good tip. All publishing... Um, all the publishing houses on their website will have, and sometimes it's kind of buried, but they'll have their rules for submissions and they'll tell you exactly what they want. So some will want a separate attachment, some won't open attachments. So you have to send your sample as part of the body of your email, but they'll have very clear guidelines on what they want and what they're looking for. So you can save yourself a lot of time by making sure it's a good fit. So not sending, um, like a children's book, for example, to a publisher that doesn't 
do children's books or a lot will do children's fiction, but not picture books. And so if you don't look very clearly um, what they're asking for, you could be wasting your time drafting a beautiful query letter and sending your picture book to someone who's not, not even going to look at it. Right. Research, research, research. (laughs) Yeah. You need to do your homework before, before you submit to someone. Um, Something I found really interesting that you talked about was the amount of networking that you did um, and how much networking can help when you are trying to get published. Absolutely. So that's where going to the conferences can be really helpful because you'll meet agents and editors at the conferences and you can bypass sometimes something we call the slush pile. So when you submit unsolicited to a publisher or an agent or an editor, it goes into a slush pile that they'll get to eventually, or someone will get to, it might be an intern or somebody who looks at it, but it's not a high priority thing. And it's not directly into someone's inbox. If you meet an editor at a conference and you strike up a conversation with them, you can almost do an informal pitch. And sometimes if you're lucky, they'll give you their card and say, like, I like the idea of that. Send that to me directly. And then you have an in where you can say, I'm sending this because you asked for it. Like I met you at such and such a conference and you expressed interest in blank. So I'm excited to send you like, here it is. So you bypass the slush pile, which is really good. Um, Or they'll know someone like they'll say, oh, I don't personally do adult fiction. This happened to me at one conference. But I'd be happy to pass your work on to our fiction department. And this happened to be at a bigger publisher that I would not have been able to submit to on my own. In the end, it turned out they they didn't take it. But the fact that I got it through to them and I got a personalized response from someone who I never wise never otherwise would have been able to submit to was all the result of networking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, networking, it's important in every industry. <laughs> well, Carolyn, it's been great to have you. Um, and I think I've learned a lot. So I, I think that our fellow alumni will learn a lot too. Thanks so much for joining today. Thank you for having me. I hope it was helpful to somebody out there who has a story idea that they'd like to to share with the world. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating or tell a friend about it. It makes a big difference. Uncharted Warriors in the World is produced and hosted by me, Meg Vanderwood. Carlos Saavedra is our editor. Both Carlos and I are alumni and staff at the University of Waterloo.